and welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. And today with a very special guest to talk about a topic that blew up our Facebook page this week. Hey guys, I'm Kristen Chase. And I'm Liz Gumbiner. We're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the scandal of summer camp costs. Yes, we're going to be joined by KJ Delantonia, who I hope a lot of you know. She is not only an author and writer, but she's the contributing editor and columnist of the New York Times Well Family, which basically, if you've ever read anything about parenting in the Times, she probably wrote it. And she's the co-host of Am Writing, a new podcast about writing with Jessica (laughs) Leahy, who we had on the show recently, too. All right. So we're going to talk about that. And as always, we're going to share our cool picks of the week. But let's just jump right in. KJ, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So you wrote a piece this past Sunday that really we found fascinating. And Kristen kind of innocently shared on our Facebook page as something that we thought people should read about. And wow, it was controversial. Who knew? I don't know how much controversy I saw. Most of us are pretty much in agreement that if you don't have a stay-at-home parent or, you know, a nanny because, hey, who doesn't have a full-time, uh, you know, <laughs> live-in nanny tucked away up in the attic, probably with her spare night nanny next to her. Um, you know, most of us find summer a fantastic, beloved institution that is also a financial and logistical nightmare. Yeah. And so just to recap a little for our readers who aren't familiar, she had an amazing read called The Families That Can't Afford Summer. I think some people thought it was just about like keeping up with the Joneses and I can't afford fancy summer camps. And and actually, that's not really what it was. It was, I thought, an amazing kind of socioeconomic look at how summer overall impacts working parents in particular or people who are struggling financially and what that does to them as working parents, to the achievement gap for their kids over the summer, and presented so many amazing issues. We thought it was pretty non-controversial, but there were actually a lot of different opinions. Did you see any dissenting or differing opinions from the readers of the Times? I did see a little of that assumption. That would be the people who read the headline and not the rest of it. <laughs> who are those people? <laughs> what? No one does that. Oh, come That's on. Crazy. I've never done that either. Um, <laughs> there were definitely some people making assumption that it's about, you know, not being able to afford the fancy camp or what. But really, this is everything from middle income families who are going to end up paying 25 to 30 percent of their income on childcare during the summer to people who aren't going to be paying anything for childcare at home at all because their 12 year old is going to be babysitting their six year old or their nine year old is going to be pretty much home alone and hiding in the house so that they're not at the center of, you know, some fantastic helicopter parenting scandal. Now, did you decide to write this from your own, you know, as I know, mama four, same, I'm a mama four and seeing summer is coming. Like, was that part of the reason that you wanted to write that? Or was it something else that made you decide to, to attack this piece? Well, this comes up every year, whenever you start February. Or <laughs> it's the... so early, isn't it? Yeah, especially in New York. If you don't register your kids like in the womb for summer camp, <laughs> let alone preschool, you'll never get them in. And I have been dealing with this, obviously, for a while. At this point in my life, I live in New Hampshire. My youngest kids are 10. They will be pretty much running free this summer, but I'm also, you know, I work at home. 
it's not the greatest situation. So for us personally, this has ceased to be a problem, although it was a problem in the past. Sure. I've addressed this in some way almost every year. And this year I thought I'm really going to get into this and I'm really going to get out there and talk to a lot of different people about the challenges that they're facing. And I found, you know, this really big financial challenge and then also very quickly realized that it's not just about whether or not you can afford to get your kid cared for or whether they're going to, you know, sort of have to hide at home so you don't get arrested. It's also about the fact that those kids who are hiding at home so that you don't get arrested, they're not learning anything. They're not doing anything and they're actively losing out. Yeah, I think your point actually about the whole arresting thing is amazing. We've actually (laughs) done a whole thing on that. We could probably do eight more podcasts on that. But I've thought about that as well because I have some time this summer. I'm going to be with my two girls and my boyfriend's uh, two girls will be, we'll have them for the majority of the summer. And so for some of it, the three oldest ones plus Kristen's two oldest daughters are all going to sleep away camp. And then we have to make different plans for the youngest one for day camp. But all that other time in between, what I would normally do because I work is say to my kids, go to the park, play, have fun, and I'll see you at three or whatever. I don't even know if I can do that anymore. And they're very responsible 11 and nine-year-olds. Yeah, it's crazy. And even if you find that you can do that, you know, that is a privilege that, uh, you know, single mother who works at McDonald's probably doesn't have. That definitely plays a part. And I obviously have a certain perspective living in Manhattan where we actually have a camp culture on the East Coast. I know that doesn't actually exist in other places, but I think the overall issue you bring up is not even just about camp, but what do we do with the kids over the summer? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think our readers were kind of having some debate because some people were saying, well, why don't you just, you know, take them to Bible school or why don't you just, <laughs> you know, go to the community center where they have a free thing? Jesus is a very good babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> For an hour a day, three days a week. Mom, I, I learned how to turn water into wine today. Oh, that, that's a day well spent. <laughs> I am putting my kids in that camp. (laughs) No, but it's true. One of the parents I talked to did say, you know, like that her library had programs, but her daughter is seven. She can't send her daughter to the library all day while, and she works full time as a paralegal for the uh, city's defense agency. So she's out of the house. She can't drop her child off at the library at eight o'clock in the morning and pick her up at five o'clock at night. She would have to take her child to the library. Uh, You know, if there's a Bible camp around, that is probably not an all day free affair. Uh, This is somebody who makes $550 a week. Um, You know, she told me what her rent was. She told me what her utilities were. It's just not there. There's no money for this. You know, she's eight, the daughter. There's no money for her to do anything, really. Well, let me read you a comment from one of our uh, Facebook commenters, because I'd love your response on this. Now, she was responding to one commenter who was particularly passionate that kids are fine on their own and the government has too much involvement. You put that and... so nicely, particularly yeah, passionate. Yeah, I'm trying to give her the benefit of the such, time. It's so nice. <laughs> yeah, she was passionate. So another woman responded, Hi, I'm a single mother of four who left an abusive marriage. I receive government assistance and I'm a teacher in an inner city school. I work in a profession where we are not paid enough for the work that we do. Um, And then there's a lot more specifics about her not having a lot of money. But she says, I should work the summers because I need to, but I can't afford to put my four kids in any program in order to work. My kids already get free lunch, and I don't know how I'll afford the food that I will need this summer now that I lost my SNAP benefits for teaching full time. And she was pretty 
also passionate yeah, about. Yeah, but, you know, her kids were ranging in age from 10 to 5. So there's that difficult situation of could she leave them at home? Possibly. But these days, probably not because someone will find out and get mad. Do you have a sense, KJ, of how many women are kind of in, if not this exact situation, but this similar situation where they're a single parent or they just don't have the income to take care of kids and the summer is really a struggle? A lot. And it's not just one problem. If you listen to that description, you can see all of the systemic problems for the ways that we don't support families sort of piled up in there. She's a teacher. She works. She has what's considered to be a full-time, respectable job that required her to get an education, Mm -hmm. and she can't afford her family on that. And I talk to so many women that have sort of found themselves in the midst of some variety of that situation. We are at a point where more than half of babies are born to women who are unpartnered, and that is where we are. Those are the children that we have in our society. We really need to start working with the families that we have instead of the leave it to beaver families that we imagine that we have that really in truth if you look at history this is this is nostalgia for something that never even really existed so do you think this is a middle class problem as well because i also hear from families who are kind of in that gap in between you know they're not like completely struggling but on the other hand maybe they're in a two-income family where one income goes entirely towards childcare or camps in the summer so they end up kind of breaking even and then those women you know are told either you should quit your job. What's the point of making money just to send it to camp? But then they they want to keep their jobs. They don't want to be mommy tracked and they want something to go back to in a few years. So they want to keep nope, their Maybe careers. they want social security so that later when something happens to their husband, because for no fault of their own, they don't suddenly become the poster child for, well, you should have planned better. Right. Which, you know, right, right. <laughs> the number of ways yeah. we can blame women for having children that somehow they can't both take care of and pay for at the exact same time, you know, simultaneously in some act of it's it's astonishing. We heard a lot from those people. Right, Liz? I mean, I'm looking at a comment right here. You know, we both work. Mm-hmm. We have one child. So there's no option for an older sibling to be a summer babysitter. Last year, they sent their child to daycare. You know, and this year they said they're fortunate to be able to afford a good camp program, but there is a lot of logistical wrangling that does go, you know, along with it. And I think there are a lot of families that are in that situation as well. And what I found fascinating was so many people came out and were like, kids are good when they're bored. Let them figure it out. We didn't have, we didn't have fancy summer camps when we were kids. One woman actually said, those kids can get so creative when bored. It's good for them to figure it out. And we responded Okay, like honest question, how and where should they get creative when their parents are working and they're five years old? Yeah. So I think, you know, this goes back to kind of the point, Kristen, we talk about a lot on this show, which is parents supporting parents, giving the benefit of the doubt that they're doing the best they can, and that your experience is not everybody's experience. And just because your parents did it this way, or you did it this way, or you managed, or you struggled, doesn't mean that everybody's in the same situation. And I wish we could find more ways to just support each other and acknowledge that these problems exist, they're real, and they need solving. Yeah, we tend to have these knee-jerk reactions in one way or another. And it's funny because you present a different scenario and you kind of get a different knee-jerk. And in other under different circumstances, I think all three of us would agree with the idea that boredom is great for kids and they don't need to be occupied every minute. But, you know, there's this sort of strong sense that four and five-year-olds ought to be supervised every minute. And I, I think that's reasonable, too. <laughs> and also, ahem, we don't all have backyards, fellow yes. city moms <laughs> listening to the show. I can't just, like, send my kids out back. 
block or they would be basically in an alley with a dumpster. <laughs> but there's so much they could do with that, Liz. <laughs> they could get creative. I bet there's they some could, cool stuff in could. that dumpster. We, Especially we if you weren't watching them all the time. from the dumpsters. <laughs> yeah. But it's the eco-friendly option for the summer. Now, can you talk about the whole summer slide issue? Because I think so many people who did, you know, read the full article got, you know, I got the sense Pass about, the headline. Pass the headline. <laughs> that, you know, it's not about the fancy summer camps. It is really about survival. But then there's this whole other aspect that, quite frankly, I didn't really think about, which is that when they're not in some sort of program, they're losing the progress they made during the school year. So these are pieces of research that are general. Generally speaking, all kids lose some over, you know, the eight to 10 week traditional American summer. Everybody loses two to three months in math. Teachers go back into the year prepared for that. It's kind of part of the deal. Lower income kids for, you know, whatever reasons, especially if they don't get access to some kind of a good quality educational summer program. And that doesn't mean summer school. It can mean almost anything. Lower income kids lose between two and three months in their reading ability in terms of where they test at the end of a year and where they test going into the beginning of a year. And the thing is, they don't get that back. As much as a third of the total achievement gap between lower income and higher income kids when they get out of high school, there's research that puts as much of a third of that on this question of summer. Yes, I love Malcolm Gladwell and I love all his books. And um, Outliers was particularly impactful. And he had a chapter in which he described kids tanking between third and fourth grade and they attributed it to poor teaching in the fourth grade and finally they made a change where instead of testing kids at the end of the third grade and testing them at the end of the fourth grade they tested them at the end of the third grade and the beginning of the fourth grade and what they found was that it was a complete socioeconomic issue in which the kids that slid had um more income challenges at home and it was not that teachers were teaching badly, and this is not to you know blame parents, but just to say that there's a huge income gap and disparity in terms of educational opportunities, and that there was proof that the summer slide in part is due to families that can't dedicate all their time to taking their kids on educational science walks and you know having reading marathons. Well, all you know, we don't have to get carried away with that. It's not even about that. If you're in a house that's got some books, if there's reading material laying around, if there's conversation about the news, if you're spending, you know, some time on a trip where horizons are expanded, typically that's enough. It's not about huge investments of time and money in maintaining learning, especially when it comes to reading. It's pretty small, but it's just but aren't not there a lot of families for whom they really they don't have a choice but to put their kids in front of the TV all day while they work? Sure, because they maybe live in a neighborhood where even if the kids could go outside, you know, even if they're old enough to be outside unsupervised, it's not safe. Or they have concerns that they're going to be at the center of a, a headline creating case like the poor woman who left her daughter in the park, where I might add there was a government-sponsored lunch program where there was an adult every day and breakfast program. But it's ridiculous. Anyway, it's ridiculous. It really was. For lots of reasons, there are totally kids that end up in front of a screen if they're lucky. I mean, it, to go to that woman's case, their laptop had been stolen. The daughter wouldn't have even had a screen. She would have just been sitting at home or sitting 
somewhere. Well, and and what I think was so frustrating for me, especially, is that I feel as though it's another case of parents being damned if we do and damned if we don't. So if we leave our kids home, you know, if we say, all right, listen, my older two are nine and 12, they could stay home for maybe an hour while I go to an appointment or something, you know, but then it's like, okay, they go to a park. Other people are like, why are you children at the park? The police get called. So you got to deal with that whole situation. But then if you do, it's like, it's a ton of money to get these kids into any sort of daycare, day camp program. So it's like, we can't Whatever choice you make, someone on Facebook will hate you for it. Yeah, I don't even care about (laughs) Facebook. I care about dealing with neighbors and these so-and-so good Samaritans. You know, it's like, okay, really? Yeah, the Samaritans who call 911, the concerned trolls who are so concerned for your child playing alone in the park. Happily, I might add. But you know, KJ, the one thing you posed in your article that I thought was fascinating and really deserved the the bulk of conversation was the question you asked, would we be better off if we just got rid of summer? Can you talk about that? You know, nobody I talked to supports that. Not the most desperate mother who doesn't know what she's going to do. Nobody thought that was a great idea. We love summer. It is an American institution. It's an everywhere institution. You know, maybe it could be shorter. Uh, better yet, maybe it could be something everybody gets a little piece of. I mean, a lot of the people I talk to, they don't have any vacation. You know, they get the 4th of July weekend. Well, that's off the other thing. They don't have any vacation. I know. There's so many issues that pile up. <laughs> I mean, it's all here's part the thing. of one it's, big right. cluster. But, yeah. but look, so we're nostalgic for summer because it's this nostalgia from when we were kids. It's like summer. But look, most of us don't even have enough vacation to cover it. So it's completely unrealistic. I, I for one, I'm like, hey, aren't there school districts in this country? I feel like there's some in Colorado and California where they do that. Yeah, sort of, they but work it isn't any better. It's not any better. Why? Tell because me why. it's still 180 days of school. Okay. Okay. So they still it's get the, the same amount of time off. It's just scattered throughout the year at unpredictable intervals where there is no camp and your boss isn't expecting you to be dealing with it. Ah. Oh, that's a great point. So basically it's better July than March. Uh, yeah. You know, you're sort of sitting there going, well, I'm sorry, my kid's in a district where they're off for the next two weeks. So I have to, yeah. I mean, one of the parents that I talked to had even gone to one of those schools when she was a kid and she said, A, she hated it. And B, it would just be the same thing scattered throughout the year. Undoubtedly, it would help with the slide. And is that just public school, the 180 days, or does that include the charters that are doing year-round school as well? Um, The requirements for American public schools, it sort of varies from state to state and locality to locality. Broadly speaking, 180 days is pretty much our school year. There's actually an hourly requirement, so you can end up spreading that out in a variety of ways. If you have 10 minutes of extra time every day, you end up with like a week at the end of the year. And if you have 10 minutes... But you, know. you did say in, in those situations where it's spread out differently, the summer slide issue, it, it that will that. be remedied. It does help that. And that's one of the reasons that communities tend to do it. Although then you also get some communities where the school building is in use all the time, but not all of the same children are in the classroom at the same time. Like your brain could just oh, fall out of your head trying to figure that one out. Well, I think this all kind of goes back to your point, which we talked about a lot, which is investing in daycare and family support overall. And, you know, we talk about parental leave a lot, obviously, which is now not just maternity, but paternity leave. We talk about the dearth of daycare, but I think just the idea of thinking about it as a particularly challenging issue over the summer is so important. I don't think it's something that we discuss as a society very much. Well, it's something that I learned in the context of writing this that I'd sort of been vaguely aware of is, you know, say that you are someone that 
qualifies in your state or your locality for some kind of subsidy for your child's child care. That's something you could use during the summer. Typically, if you qualify for a subsidy, you can use it in a variety of ways. But qualifying and getting are two totally different things. It's not an entitlement. It's a grant. So when they're out of money, as they almost immediately are, Mm -hmm. people don't get it. Only one in seven kids technically qualifies for child care support. So when you hear about, you know, this is the level at which people qualify for subsidized child care, only one in seven of those kids is getting it. So we're sometimes we're even having a conversation where we're not even understanding what it is we're really talking about. We're saying, well, at that income level, you qualify for subsidized child care support. But there isn't any. Those kinds of things frustrate me because it's like, you know, the people that are saying that really just have no idea of the details, you know, the inner workings of really how the system is for these parents. And, and, you know, quite frankly, I am certainly in a position where, you know, my children don't necessarily need to go to camp, but I too don't want them sitting around in the house watching television. And, and, you know, I certainly come from a place of privilege. I personally would like to sit home and watch television all summer though. I just want to say for the record, me as a grown up, (laughs) I can't afford to send, you know, four kids to camp so that I could, you know, possibly work more or work with more focus. So this is not something, you know, I think everyone has a ball in the game. Well, everybody has a ball in that after school game during the regular year, too. We really, it is sort of astonishing that for every single parent who comes up with a kid and enrolls them to school, suddenly it's like you're the first person ever to have to deal with the hours of from three to five or the months of July and August. <laughs> that oh, has never so happened before. So what do you think, KJ, are some things that parents can do right now until the government turns around and throws billions and billions towards this issue? Or we get rid of summer altogether. <laughs> um, what are things that parents can do who are struggling to figure out what to do with their kids over the summer? Do you have any solutions? Yeah. So So definitely turn to your community centers, turn to your rec centers, look for the least expensive options, ask teachers where they're going to be working this summer and if there's any room. If you're, you know, really at a loss for what you're going to do for your kids, and maybe that's not obvious, maybe you're not somebody who gets any kind of assistance, go out in your community, go to the rec center, go to people and say, look, is there anything? You know, there, there aren't very many sort of charitable organizations dedicated to this, but churches often have things. And, you know, so your kid gets a little churchiness or a little synagoginess during the summer. I think probably less than the synagoginess. It won't kill them, <laughs> no matter what you believe. The meaning that I think there are less synagogues that have this kind of thing available. But boys and girls clubs, often have it. Other ideas that people were tossing around were definitely uh, working with family members or neighbors to have some kind of an exchange. Yes, I know a lot of people who have done that, like created a neighbor co-op where, you know, maybe there were five kids and each parent had one day responsible for the kids. Right. Or maybe you hire one babysitter among you and and your sister or you and two neighbors. A lot of that works better if you're a parent with a flexible job. But I think if you're a parent in a community where a lot of people are facing this problem, then there's going to be other people you're going to be able to reach out to. That's awesome. And is there anything that we as, you know, fellow parents can do? I'm not super involved in my kids' school, but I imagine that there are kids in the classrooms. Is it something where we could reach out to the principals or even our classroom teachers and say, hey, if you have kids, you know, who might be struggling this summer, maybe we can help. I mean, is there anything that we can do? Well, I think this is a place where watching your local elections is important. You know, support mixed use of your school building. Support the kind of things where the schools are allowed to work with 
even religious institutions in the summer to offer programs. You know, sort of think more broadly about the use of our community buildings. That's one way. And yeah, if you're if you're part of a school community or a, a PTA, you know, talk about whether or not there are programs that the school could be interested in offering during the summer or whether there's anything that can be done. I mean, there are national government things and votes that we can cast here. But lo on the local level, to look at your school board and what they're doing and your really, really local elections. That's where a lot of this stuff is playing out. Well, awesome. Amazing. I think this is a really important and helpful conversation and I really appreciate your tips. And I can only imagine that our listeners, if they're as passionate as our Facebook fans were, might have their own opinions and something to say about this. So we would love to hear from you and so would KJ. So you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Cool Mom Picks. You can use the hashtag Spawned show. You can find KJ. KJ, where's the best place to find you besides the New York Times? Yeah. <laughs> Twitter <laughs> at KJ Delantonia. And I'm on Facebook both personally and our Facebook page uh, is Well Family. And then this was on the Times' main Facebook page. So that'd be the place to find this. Fantastic. Woo! Thank you so much. And now for an extra special bonus, KJ, you going to stick around and join us for Cool Picks of the Week? Sure. All right. So now it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool picks of the week. And uh, we love to have our guests go first, KJ. So, you know, the ladies first, guests first. Do you have a cool pick? You're definitely a cool parent. Yeah, what do you got? My cool pick of the week is a school-related thing. So when you're ready for your back-to-school supplies, or if you want to be clever, like my daughter suggested we are, would be this year, and we probably won't be, and buy them now instead of waiting... There is a Whoa. company, I know, it's crazy, and I, I won't actually do it. My daughter is a vastly more organized person than I am. <laughs> There's a company called Yubi, Y-O-O-B-I, so it's yubi.com. They make super cool notebooks and pens and pencils and lunch packs and all these bright colors. And for everything you buy, they donate something to a school in need. We are actually big fans. I love your pick. We've covered them on Cool Mom Picks. I did not know that. Well, that's my pick anyway. That's fantastic. And we will link that as well of all our cool picks and everything you're hearing about here today on our website at coolmompicks.com as always. And you can get them at Target, by the way. Oh, they're at Target. Yeah, which is where we pick them up. So yeah, you picked a Cool Mom Picks approved thing. You're totally in the club, KJ. You're I, in the club. Apparently, I know all the <laughs> Okay, so we featured this really interesting article on Cool Mom Eats. That's our food site this past week. And it was called 10 Surprising Foods That Don't Require Refrigeration. Oh, this was good. I know. And people were freaking out over it. And I'm one of them because, you know, my mom used to always leave the butter out. And as I got older, I was thinking, God, why did she do that? But you know what? You don't have to refrigerate butter. I'm so, so it's not just my mom because she leaves the butter on the windowsill. And I always thought that, that was really weird, but I guess not. Yeah. You know what? I'm all for more room in the fridge. So, you know, it's everything like from some things that you might already know, like bread and stuff like that. But, you know, like berries. I think a lot of people think you're supposed to refrigerate coffee and you're actually not. Yes. Our resident coffee experts will tell you you are destroying those beans if you put yes, them in the fridge. Yes. So anyway, we'll link it up. It's a great, very interesting, very quick read on Cool Mom Eats. Just, you know, stuff that you don't need to refrigerate, especially with the summer months coming along. I think we all think we got to throw everything in the fridge and we actually don't need to. Thank you. That's an awesome pick. 
So I'm sticking with the summer theme here. I am not ready to do back to school shopping like KJ. (laughs) (laughs) I am the mom who's like, oh, the kids started school and I need to buy school supplies. Um, So my pick actually, this is also an article on our site. Uh, Kate, who's one of our editors, she did a fantastic post on 11 tips and tricks for camping with kids to make it fun and easy. And there is so much cool like just gear and technology and neat stuff in there. But one of my favorites, um, she linked to uh, a company called Sluice that makes handmade kid-sized hammocks. And I am dying for one. And I'm not a camping person <laughs> per se. So I'm not necessarily, you know, taking a steel camping. And you don't have a backyard. So where are you going to put this hammock? Well, grandma's backyard. <laughs> That's awesome. That is Between actually Between the dumpster great. and, you know, the doorknob for the service entrance of the building. <laughs> no, so we, so at grandma's house, or we're actually going to take a, a little summer house for a week with all the kids. And this would be so perfect. Anyway, they look amazing. They're handmade. It's a cool little company. It's a small business out of North Carolina. And, you know, we love supporting indie parent-run businesses. And these handmade hammocks they make, they come in all different sizes. But the fact they make a kid size one, it's small. Kids don't get like all tangled up in it and they can't get out of it. <laughs> it's easy to wash, which is good and important when you're dealing with kids and sticky popsicle hands. And um, plus she wrote about how it has uh, tree straps that it comes with and everything all snaps together and can clip onto a backpack for those of you who actually are brave enough to go camping often with kids. So anyway, Sluice Hammocks is my pick. I am dying for one. I don't have one, but I trust Kate completely. We're going to get you a kid size one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to eat more of the, that produce that doesn't go in the fridge and less of the Pop-Tarts in order to fit into the kid size one. That's awesome. And hey, listen, guys, if you've got a cool pick of the week that you want to share or you've tried one of ours and you've loved it or you've hated it, uh, maybe hold off on emailing us if you hated it. But anyway, you (laughs) you can send that to spawned at coolmompicks.com. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Spawned. We're so glad you're here. Of course, thank you so much to KJ. And huge thanks to our engineer, John Bowen. And hey, we'd love to get the word out about Spawned because we're fun. Well, we think we're fun. (laughs) So tell a friend, tell the checkout person at the supermarket, tell your mother-in-law, as long as she's okay with a little bit of blue humor. (laughs) And you know what? The iPhone app for you iPhone users makes it really easy to subscribe so that it pops up right on your phone. So of course, Spawned with Kristen and Liz, then search Am Writing. Is it just one word, guys? What are you doing, Katie? It's hashtag. It's hashtag Am Writing. But if you search, you you know, but if you search Am Writing, you'll find us. So anyway, search for us, search for KJ and Jessica, add those right there, and then you won't ever miss an episode. Hooray! So thanks so much to everybody for listening to Spawn today. This is Liz. This is Kristen. Have a great day. Bye.